Father God, we love you. And Jesus, we are so thankful. I know there are times that we have all looked out in our world and we, we see this time of year, that slogan, that Jesus is the reason for the season. And, and sometimes things like that get so trite. We get so used to it. But Lord, it is true. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. You have changed everything by coming to this earth, by living, by proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, by dying for our sins. And God, we're not who we were. And Lord, we, we so much want to live into your promises, and we want to live out this great calling we have that just begins with being your children, belonging to you. And so, Father, today, would you just awaken us? Would you remind us, Lord? Would you draw us into, um, into your heart, into your joy, your love, your peace, your hope? And Father, we, we just want to take a moment, too, to lift up people we know. Some are in our church, some are in our families. Um, folks who are really struggling for probably very good reasons, God, we ask you today to minister life, to minister healing, Lord, that even as we talk about joy this morning, that your joy would fall upon them in Jesus' name. And Lord, that you would even prompt us to serve, to reach out, to, to take this great love we have and to live it out in relationship with them. God, we, we can't thank you enough for who you are for what you've done, for what you're doing, and Lord, what you will do. And to think that we get to be a part of that, God. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. you. Um, any of you dads ever out there, have y'all ever had like a career day with your kids? Um, maybe your, your child gets to come to work with you. Well, my son this week said, hey dad, can I help you write the sermon this week? And I thought, well, why not? So to honor him, Noah, would you op uh, honor us by uh, reading our passage today? Sure. I got you guys. Here we go. Luke 2, 8 through 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's fun being a parent. Um, it's fun having a Noah in your life, and you guys have Noahs known by other names, I'm sure. Uh, well, this, this last week, um, I just want you to know I have really been impacted by the sermon. Um, it's amazing how when you study the Word of God and you prepare it for other people, quite often it will really speak to you first. And this has been a week of that for me in, in a lot of different ways. And it all started when... Um, I guess it was on, on Monday, I took some time to think about people who have positively impacted my life. Um, people who, they were just, we all have those relationships, people, maybe family, friends, but th they were just a game changer in your development, or you had a moment or a season with them that, that really made you grow. And so I started making this list, and the first person I thought of, after my wife, of course, and my children, um, was an uncle of mine named Chester. 
uh, Chester Dunbar from Bunky, Louisiana. And uh, yeah, Bunky, it really is a place called Bunky. And Uncle Chess, that's what we called him, he was a great big man, okay? So he's a great big man with a, a mop of curly white hair. He had glasses so thick that, you know, there were those moments where his eyeballs looked like they were like th that big. And um, he had a deep, deep voice. And Uncle Chester also had hilarious facial expressions. Um, you could tell what he was thinking a mile away. He just, you know, I, I wish I could mimic it. But um, Uncle Chester told the greatest stories I have ever heard. Um, and stories I had never heard anywhere else because he made them up. And he had a wild, vivid imagination. Um, it was just so much fun to go see him in Louisiana. Uh, he was always ready to laugh. But here's the thing about Uncle Chester. This was a man who was deeply in love with Jesus. And I don't mean, you know, like he, he was always spouting religious language. I just mean, if there was ever anybody on the planet that had a personal living relationship with our Lord and Savior, it was Uncle Chester. But I remember one story, okay, one vivid memory. I remember one time all the, uh, our families got together. It was a big family reunion, and the adults started talking. You know, they got in a little group, and it, it quickly turned into worry talk. Um, you know, real concerned. I think it was about the economy back then, but, you know, it just, just one of these conversations that the adults started commiserating, and the conversation just went downhill, and, you know, everybody on the outside is like, oh, my gosh. Well, finally, my Uncle Chester just stood up, and he said, come on, Stephen, let's go. And he starts to walk out of the room, and he goes, I've heard enough of this. And as he's making his way out the door, he goes, you know what, Stephen? Jesus means for us to be full of joy, not sour like this. And by the way, my grandfather was incensed because he started the conversation. But that, that's another story. And, but that's, that is why I loved my Uncle Chester so much. He was just so full of joy. And it was like, if there were off-ramps, he wasn't taking them. He was full of God's joy. And as I went through my list, I realized, so is everybody else who made my list of influential people. They were joyful folks. And my guess is today, if I said, all right, Lynette, make your list, and got, you know, uh, Greg, make your list, had everybody make a list, we, it, our list would be full of people like Uncle Chester because joy is so appealing. And joyful people just have this way of rubbing off on us in the best possible way. They're, they're, they're the best people we ever knew. So today we're going to talk about God's joy um, we're going to talk about what it is, and we're going to talk about how we can be filled with the joy of God because this world needs it. This dark world needs people who are lit up with the joy of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we do say today, just together, Lord, we are all in need, and we're not just in need. We want you to restore the joy of your salvation to us. Father God, I just I think about those shepherds tearing through Jerusalem with good news waking people up in the middle of the night. And that was joy. Father, we invite that today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, typically we have to do this when we talk about joy. Um, we need to be careful just to remind ourselves that 
God's joy and earthly happiness are two very different things. Um, we, we probably mostly know this, but um, happiness is a good thing, right? I mean, we can agree. Happiness is all good. We all want to be happy. But happiness is an emotion that is typically based on what is happening around us, um, what is happening to us. Give us a really good day, and we're typically pretty happy. Um, so it's a positive reaction to good things that come our way. But the problem with happiness is that it is a fleeting emotion, okay? So what that means is when the good situation changes for the worst, happiness usually goes right along with it. I mean, it's just, it's like morning fog. It just evaporates when the sun comes out. So God's joy, on the other hand, is completely different, all right? God's joy is much more than a feeling. God's joy is a state of being. Okay, God's joy is how we are on the inside, and we call it God's joy because true joy comes from Him. You know, that's why in Scripture we read uh, the joy of the Lord. It's His gift to us, and, and it happens in us, and it happens to us based on belief, us really believing that God is here. Have you ever noticed how many times God says that in Scripture? right? Early in the Old Testament, all along the way, end of the Old Testament, the, the Gospels, surely all the way through, again and again and again, I'm here. I'm with you. I'll never leave and forsake you. That's one of the foundation stones of, of joy in our lives. And not only that, but it is believing that God is who Scripture says He is. God is love. God is, is, is good, all, all of those building blocks as well. And joy also comes from us believing that God will keep his promises. And by the way, you know what God's track record on his promises is so far? 100%, right? That, that God is keeping his, his promises. And, and that's, that's where joy comes from. And that's why, for example, you can look at a place like Acts 16, where we find Paul, and he is rejoicing in the Lord, but he's in prison. It's joy at work. Or, or you can uh, uh, go back to Daniel, you know? Daniel worshiping the Lord and just praying. And you can, you can feel Daniel's heart coming through the pages. Well, the whole time, the man is a captive in Babylon, right? He's even had his name changed, but that is joy. Joy is rooted in God, and joy comes from God. And that's what we see, by the way, throughout the whole Old Testament. You know, you look at the people's track record in the Old Testament, it's a little rough, isn't it? A lot of bad moments there, but look at God in the Old Testament. God keeps pursuing his people, even though they blow it time and time and time again with their sins. Um, we see God all throughout the Old Testament keeping his word, keeping his promises while the people break their word on almost every page. We, we see God moving in their lives, speaking to them through the prophets. And that's why Isaiah can write, and this is one of our great Christmas verses here, um, but this is why you, you see Isaiah write in Isaiah 9.3, God, you have, you have increased our joy. And despite ourselves, we rejoice before you like people rejoice at the harvest time, 
like, like warriors rejoice when they're dividing the plunder. And so that's joy in the Old Testament, and it's just beautiful. But then something happens toward the end. Toward the end of the Old Testament, uh, a darkness settles over all people. Um, we see it as the Old Testament comes to a close. There's actually a 400-year period when the prophets don't speak, and it's as if God has gone silent. Um, you know, it, it, it looks pretty rough, and then Israel is invaded by Rome, and they come in, and, and the empire of Rome, when they took over, they took everything over. And all aspects of people's lives, especially God's people, all aspects of their lives become dark. And what it looks like to, to, to any child of God, maybe even onlookers, is that maybe God's joy is in the rearview mirror for good. You know, maybe God has finally given up on these disobedient people. It looks that way until... And I'm going to interrupt the until and give you a quick historical tidbit that will, will help us out here. Um, back in ancient Rome, okay, which is the, the time of that invasion just before the, the Gospels, the New Testament, and Christ, um, back in ancient Rome, uh, the emperor had a fleet, okay? Now, probably had a fleet of camels and a fleet of some other things, but he had a fleet of runners, okay? These runners were called heralds, and their whole job was to stay in great shape because they would, from time to time, run to the town with news, all right? Now, usually the news boiled down to one of two things, all right? They went uh, whenever a, a great victory was won, so they would go to the people announcing, we won the, we won the war, we won the battle. So now we have peace. You can enjoy life as a victor. And then the second time they would run to town was whenever the emperor had a child, a son. And what they went, went out and they, uh, they were announcing that the reign would continue, the kingdom would continue to flourish. And, and either way, despite either announcement, the people were expected to enjoy a, a spontaneous holiday. Everyone would stop working, they would celebrate, they would feast. Okay, with that in place, on the night that Jesus was born, remembering that there have been 400 years of political darkness for the Jews, spiritual darkness for the Jews and for everyone else, suddenly, the night Christ was born, we have a herald, okay? But this time, it's not a Roman herald, it is a heavenly herald. Y'all know who I'm talking about? The angel, right? The, the angel of the Lord appears to shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night, and he proclaims this to them. Noah read part of it. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host, more royal heralds, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this herald appears, the, the, these, this angel, followed by angels, and he makes an announcement that's actually a combination of the, the, the two announcements that are given. Number one, the Lord has been born, a Messiah. So here is a king, right? The, the, kind of like the emperor's son here. 
But we know, and so did those who studied Scripture, that this Messiah, Jesus, he would go on to win the ultimate battle over sin and death. So this is a historically just unprecedented announcement from the angel. And then we have an incredible thing happen. We have, and I I don't think we've missed this, but it's easy to, we then have a baton pass, okay? Usually it's one runner that goes to town where this angel then passes the baton to the shepherds. And the shepherds go off to see Jesus And have you ever noticed, I prayed it, Tom referred to it, have you ever noticed what happens to the shepherds after they see Jesus? They put their arms around each other, they wander back to the sheep. No, that's not what happens, is it? They go and they see this king. They see this Messiah, this one who will conquer sin and death. And the shepherds tear off into the town, probably still the middle of the night, waking everyone up with this great news. And and Scripture says, well, I'll read it to you. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and everyone who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see what's happening there? I mean, first of all, you get a lot of people awakened from their sleep, probably, who are a little shocked at all this. But the people, the shepherds go, filled with joy. They share the news and amazement is what they feel. Amazement is a word that contains joy. The joy spreads, and it just proves the angel's message that Christ, Jesus Christ, is good news that causes great joy for all people. It's a wonderful thing to see, but here we are thousands of years later, a couple thousand years later. We are people whom Jesus Christ has saved, We've been saved by the blood, by the resurrection, by Jesus Christ. We have been set free from our sin. We now have eternal life. Guess what? You're never going to die as a believer. But you know what we also have? Abundant life. So we have eternal and abundant life. Think about that for a minute. We are growing in Christ. One of the beautiful things about being a Christian, you know, as, as just a human being, you grow older, you grow, you know, I mean, life begins to slow down. As a Christian, we're always growing. We're always growing. We're always becoming in Jesus Christ. We experience the words that we talk about as we light the candle. The, the peace, the hope, the love, the joy of Jesus, those aren't just symbols, right? Those aren't just words we, oh yeah, th- th- that's right, uh, that, that's connected to Christmas. Those are real things in our life at work. As the great song says, you know, we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we we see. All of this has happened and is happening to us because Jesus Christ came into this world. So here's the question, little hint. On a Sunday that we talk about joy, what should our demeanor as Christians be in this world? What, What should our posture be in this world? What should people see when they see us? What should they say about us as as, as they watch us live our lives and live life with us? Hint, okay? Here's a hint. Think about Uncle Chester. Think about those shepherds on Christmas Eve. We are meant to be filled 
with the joy of the Lord as Christians. We are meant to carry joy with us everywhere we go. We, we are meant to radiate joy. Amen. Yeah, it's good. Joy is meant to change how we go through life. It really is as Christians, especially the hard stuff of life. But the question for us, the church today, is uh, are we? Are we filled with joy? Do people see God's joy in us? Do they? Last week, Jane and I were talking about growing up in uh, the church as children. And we said, well, kind of asked each other back and forth, what was that like? And there was a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, man, we talked about people we knew and you know, we remember things like VBS and, you know, growing in the Word of God and being able to worship. Those are wonderful things. So, so we, we talked about a lot of wonderful things. And then we just asked the question, yeah, but was church a place of joy? Was it a place that was filled with the joy of God? Were the, were the people that we interacted with, were they filled with joy themselves? And we both answered, well, I can't really say yes. Neither one of us could really say yes, and here's why. Because for both of us, we had had the same experience, and maybe, maybe it was just isolated to North Carolina, right, uh, in that time period. But what we both noticed was during our time in the church as children, there was always this growing nervousness in the church. There was this, this fear that just slowly rose, and a lot of it was pointed at the world, you know, just this kind of fear of what was coming next. I remember one of the things, Shane, was the New Age movement. There's a big, you know, New Age movement scare as if the New Age movement was going to erase everything God had said. It's kind of a double message there. And, 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 and so we, we experienced that. Uh, there were some other things too. I won't name all those. But here we are now, 30 to 40 years later. And I do have to say, I think that by and large, the, and we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ in this nation the Christian church, I think we've only journeyed farther down that road. I really do. And if you doubt that, just look back at the last few years, check the headlines, and see what you heard us say about all those things. But my concern for us is we, the church of Jesus Christ, we are not going to be remembered for the light that we carried. I, I, I fear that uh, we're not going to be remembered for the joy we shared, but instead for being a church that was worried about many other things, concerned about many other things, and we, we let the main thing get away from us. So we're going to get super practical to end the sermon, okay? Y'all like practical? Amen. We're going to get super practical, and we're going to answer two questions, two very simple questions. The first question is this, what robs us of God's joy? All right, I thought of four things, okay? You may, you may have others, so y'all suggest them later on. I want to hear these. But what robs us of joy? Number one, focusing on what's wrong instead of what's right. Focusing, and I'm not talking about, you know, ignoring sin. I don't mean that, but focusing on what's bad instead of what's good. You know what that's called? It's called worry. You remember what Jesus had to say about worry? Let's get together and worry. No, he didn't do that. Jesus said, hey, don't do, don't do it. Worry adds nothing to your life. It adds nothing. The psalmist talks about worry and says, don't worry. Worry not. It only leads to sin. And, and worry is a thief when it comes to joy. There's another one. Uh, worry robs us of joy. 
Here's another one. Number two, obsessing over outcomes that we cannot control, but God is already in full control of them. You know what that is? That's fear. And man, fear does a number on us. I mean, Think, think about the difference when fear over, I mean, when it comes over us, man, it changes everything. We see everything differently, but fear also robs us of this incredible joy. And I love that joy is represented by light today, but it does. Here's another one. This one hurt me a little bit this week, but not as much as the last one did. Uh, the, this one hurt me, defining ourselves by what we're against instead of what we're for. Here's another way to say that. Um, Becoming indignant over the sins of lost people. Have y'all ever seen that? You know, like where we as Christians go, I cannot believe the sins of Hollywood or the sins of my next door neighbor, forgetting the fact that they're lost. Their, Their hearts have not been regenerated. They don't know the word of God. How else are they going to act? But this is kind of a combo one. That's a judgment that leads to anger. And ooh, judgment will steal your joy. It'll lock it up deep, 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 deep. And then the final one is, is kind of, it's not really new, but it's really taken off in our day and age. And as soon as I wrote it, I was like, oh, Lord, I've got to spend the rest of the week repenting for this one. And it is, I'll describe it first, getting all caught up in everything else except what matters most. Distraction. It's just being distraction. Let me tell you a story about distraction. I gotta move the podium for this. One time Jane and I went on a, a vacation together, right? So a weekend away without the kids. So we we go to this little condo, we had access to a condo, and it was on the beach at the Outer Banks. And the Outer Banks of North Carolina, they are barrier islands. They're not all built up like Myrtle Beach and all these other you know, other places. But it's so just beautiful, pristine. So Jane and I get up, we get our coffee one day, we walk out to the balcony, and it is one of those days. The sun is coming up over the ocean, and it's just painting the sky. And it's just reflecting off the clouds. Um, the, the, the ocean is calm. And off to, we'll just say my right, your left, here's a whole flock of pelicans, and pelicans skim the surface of the ocean, a whole flock of them, and they're in beautiful formation, just catching this this draft. And of course, because it's the Outer Banks, there's one other thing you can count on just about every day, and it's porpoises. There's a whole family of porpoises, and they're just, they're going in the opposite direction. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful days of I've ever seen. And then here they come. Here comes a family of four, Father, mother, uh, son, maybe a daughter, four of them, and they're walking, they're walking against this incredible scene like this. Every single one of them. And I'm sitting on the balcony going, what are you doing? You're, you're in the middle of a Hallmark movie or, or, you know, a Thomas Kincaid painting. How can you miss all this beauty? Completely distracted. And so often that can happen to us spiritually where we, we just get robbed of joy because our heads and our hearts are somewhere else. So this is the part of the sermon where we have two options, okay? One is we can go down the trail of condemnation and feel really miserable about ourselves because if you're not guilty of all of them, you're guilty of some of these. We all are. But instead, what if we all just dealt with this? 
worry, fear, judgment, anger, and distraction by just taking the first step of repentance. And this is, this is what is so beautiful about Jesus, okay? What if we just simply acknowledge that as Christians and as the church, we get sucked into this black hole, You know, we get caught up in fear. We forget the promises of God, all of it. We get sucked into all of that, and we let ourselves get robbed of God's joy. And we just simply asked for and received Christ's forgiveness for that. And we just invited the Holy Spirit to break chains, just to break those chains. For me, the big one has been distraction lately. So I I went ahead of us, and I prayed this prayer a few days ago, and I said, Lord, Break this chain of distraction in my life. Do you know what happened? Um, well, it's over there. See, I'm, I'm overcoming it. Every time I would pick this thing up, I was just reminded, put it down. God is up to something good today. Don't miss it, man. And th- that's what the Lord loves doing in our lives is setting us free. So what if we, we simply did that? And then we went on to answer question number two. Question number two is even simpler than question number one. The question is, what gives us joy? What gives us God's joy? Do you know how simple the answer is to this one? I mean, there's not even four points. There's only one point, and it's all over Scripture. I'll give you a hint. Nehemiah talks about it uh, in Nehemiah 8. Paul talks about it everywhere in the New Testament. But I'll just read you one. Philippians 3.1, he simply says, rejoice in the Lord. That's where our joy is. Do you know our joy is in Jesus? Period. It's just in Jesus. Being with Jesus gives us great joy. So what if we did that? We just said every day, okay, I got a mission today, and my mission is in worship, in prayer, as I read Scripture, as I go through the day, I'm just going to open my eyes, and I'm going to see Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus all day long. I want to behold him. I want to enjoy him. I want to lean in to this great news that causes joy for all people. And I know it sounds so simple. We go, oh, come on, there's got to be more than that. It really is in his presence that we come alive in joy. I think we can all acknowledge we do live in a world of darkness. We live in a world filled with darkness. But I'll tell you what God's joy will remind you of. It'll remind you of a few things. One thing is something my wife says all the time. When She says this, when you think about eternity, what is this? What is this life? It's a camping trip. Yeah, there's some darkness, but this is a little while for us. This is a very short time for us. The joy of God also causes us to, to look at things like death, and condemnation, which are all around us, and, and, and what everybody's saying on the street, you know, be careful listening to all that stuff. Boy, that'll mess you up too. But it causes you to look back at today's headlines and realize that because of Jesus, because of Jesus Christ in my life, none of those things apply to me. That's a powerful thing to look at the, all the doom and the gloom and to realize that doesn't apply to me as a Christian. Because I'm eternally forgiven, I'm alive, I've been set free, I am loved by God. As a Christian, there's a, I, I, can, I can use this motto every single day, this is the day the Lord has made, I get to rejoice and be glad in it. And again, man, I can get excited. I might 
preach in a minute, Dave. I'm not sure. But we also get to enjoy just loving God back. God is love. We get to enjoy loving Him back and turning with His love and loving the people around us. That greatest commandment gets to be our life story. We also get to share the good news of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, when you hear about, hey, the elders are working on stuff like mission statement and we're working on a ministry plan, it's going to have a whole lot to do with sharing the joy and the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. But we get to do that like those shepherds and like those angels. I'm going to pray for us, Tom, or I'll never stop, brother. All right, here we go. Father Nia, I just got to remember the words of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'll just be the very first to admit today that, that there is not enough of your joy in my life. Um, God, as I preach and encourage my brothers and sisters, I confess myself that I am far too affected by what goes on in this world than what you have done and what you are doing and what you have accomplished. And, and so, God, we just want to be very quick to put those things away, to put away those things that do not lead to life. God, we want and we need your joy in our lives. God, we want to be people who have stepped out of darkness into light. Father, we want this world to see you in us and to be drawn to you. Father, I thank you for, for joy. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. God, be glorified in the life of everyone who calls Cornerstone home and calls Jesus Lord and Savior. We thank you. We bless you. You are so good. In Christ's name, amen.